Hello and welcome to the Positive Feedback Podcast, a podcast from Creating Chances. Here at Creating Chances, we are a for-purpose social enterprise that aims to empower, inspire and develop young people through our evidence-based best practice programs. This podcast is an extension of that and each week you will be hearing from people within our organisation as well as people from other organisations and walks of life that share the same goal as us impact and support young people so that they can change the world around them. Through these stories and lived experiences, we hope that you too are inspired to make a positive impact in the world around you. On today's episode, Paul connects with Mark Howard. Howie is an Australian sports journalist, commentator and TV presenter who also hosts his own podcast titled The Howie Game, where he interviews sports stars from around the world. The two discuss how a lifelong passion for sports turned into Howie's career how social media can have both a positive and negative impact on young people, and what Howie has learned from interviewing the world's biggest sports stars. Enjoy the episode. All right, so today we are joined by another legend. He's an Australian TV commentator and journalist, spoken to the best of the best when it comes to athletes and people alike. He's got a passion for sport and a knack for storytelling on his own podcast called The Howie Games. Absolutely pumped to get this chat started with you, mate. It's Mark Howard, otherwise known as Howie. How are you? Yeah, good. Definitely call me Howie. I don't know about a legend, Paul. I speak to legends. I'm not one, but I'm, <laughs> I'm pumped that you've invited me on the show, mate. So I look forward to having a chat with you. Yeah, I guess we're like creating chances. As soon as you um, get in touch with us, mate, you're a legend. So you're a legend from now on. But um, So to, to get us, um, to kick us off, mate, uh, can you just tell us a little bit more about you and your family, where you grew up, you know, before we get into the hard stuff? Yeah, uh, my mum and dad moved around a lot. I, a dad, uh, when I was growing up, had a job where he was sort of moving up his organisation. So I think I went to maybe nine or ten different primary schools. We moved around a lot in that period of time. Wow. So up where you were, I spent some time in Sydney, spent a bit of time in Perth, a bit of time in Melbourne, and then country Victoria. So we were always on the move. My main high school years, though, were in country Victoria. And now I live down the coast with a young family as well. So I'm, uh, I'm pretty lucky at the moment. Yeah, that's, that's always nice to be down the coast, especially with the family now. Now, before we get into the, you know, Howie now, I kind of want to get into the Howie back then. Yep. So I'm, I'm curious, um, how was your school life as a student and um, what sports did you play as a young kid? Well, it was a varied school life because of what I was talking about. Mm. I was always the new kid. The whole primary school, we'd go to schools for six months, three months, a year, two years. So you often got used to being the new kid in the school. So sport was a massive part for me because... As you would know, and a lot of people listening would know, Paul, if you're into sport, you can immediately find someone in the playground to play with. So I'd arrive at a new school in summer. There was kids playing cricket. I could play cricket. It was a challenge for me moving around a bit because I came from an Aussie rules and AFL background, and then I was in Sydney, and I knew nothing about rugby league. I can remember playing uh, cards. We had cards you had to flick, and the closest to the wall would win the card. You wouldn't be allowed to do it these days because it would be called gambling at school, but they were rugby league <laughs> cards. and I didn't know who any of the guys on the cards were, but sport was a massive part for me because then you would join the local cricket club. In Sydney, I joined the local soccer club, so it immediately gets you in touch with the community. And I think that's the great thing about sport, Paul. It doesn't matter whether you're 6 or 60. You can move to an area move into a sporting club and all of a sudden be surrounded by 20 brand new friends who, as you get older, can support you along the way. So it's a brilliant way to connect with the community and really feel part of things when you don't know too many people. So sport was a massive part of my life growing up. It was all weekends. It was sort of cricket and soccer. And then when I moved down to Victoria, it was cricket and footy. 
That's awesome, man. I do love what you said about, you know, that connecting tool, just being able to bond with people around, especially yeah. with you moving around a lot, man. It would have been crazy just having to make new friends. And, and when you, you start to play sport with them, just have a good time and you just nice sweat afterwards and just have a nice big banter. And it's it's solid, man. It's awesome. So I'm curious as well, did you, you get into trouble a lot as a kid or were you just more like a straight A student, kind of, you know, cruising with everyone else? No, I wasn't a straight A. My sister was a straight A, which put me under a bit of academic pressure because she had the rare combination of being very, very good at school work and very, very good at study. Where I was okay at school, but I'd rather be at cricket training or footy training or whatever it be. So I wasn't a big studier. So that caused a bit of friction in my family as I was going through sort of year 11 and 12 because my folks were aware of how well my sister had done and they didn't expect me to do that but they'd seen the work she'd put in especially my dad and he saw that probably I wasn't putting in the same amount of work so I was yeah I was I was a decent student when I applied myself I probably Mm. applied myself to sport more than I did to the actual study but I enjoyed school you know having your mates Mm. around you all the time it was something I enjoyed I wasn't um you know I got the odd detention I hated I hated rules Paul, so I ended up going <laughs> to a private school from year six, year seven to year twelve, and I went from a, a school in Caringbar in Sydney, where it was yep. stubbies and sneakers and a polo, to a grammar school, which was a blazer and a tie and uh, a shirt tucked in and socks pulled up, and I hated that. So I was constantly for six years that wasn't my go. So I was constantly in trouble for not being attired in the right way. Um, I, I, I'm yeah. not, a, yeah, I'm not a man that likes rules in general, to be honest. Yeah, fair enough. But, um, you know, each to their own, right? But you mentioned, you know, sports played a massive impact in your life. Yep. And I'm curious as to know that, you know, how much of a role has it played in today as for you as a person now that you are today? And were there any life skills that you learned from sport growing up? Well, it is the most dominant part of my life because my work is involved in sport. In the summer, I travel around and commentate on cricket. And in the winter, I travel around and commentate on AFL football. And in the gaps between those uh, sporting seasons, I take my young family away and we normally go on surf trips. So it is the most dominant part of my life. If I get up in the morning, whether it's sport or fitness, you know, if I haven't done something by midday, whether it's go to the gym, not that you can see it looking at me, or, or go for a run <laughs> or, or go for a surf or do something with the kids, I feel a bit edgy. So it is the most prevalent part of my life. And now I've got a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. My young bloke was playing footy on Saturday, so I get to go and watch him. My daughter is playing netball this afternoon, although we're about to go into lockdown, so that'll stop. So mm. it, it's a massive part of my life. And now to see my kids follow on that, my wife's very sporty, to see what they are now getting and the confidence they are getting. My daughter was quite shy and now she's involved in a netball team and, and a triathlon set up and running and just to see the confidence it gives them, absolutely, that's what I experienced as well. Just that that teamwork and, and without going too far into what you're talking about, as far as my experience, I worked a lot on weekends and I had a period in my sort of late 20s to early 30s where I was able to play footy with a group of mates and it's probably my fondest sporting memories because like I talked about before, all of a sudden you had 40 new friends and you had guys you'd go out with on the weekend and you'd have a good time together and you'd grow up together and you know they'd get married and you'd have children together. So I think it's really special when you can share that with a group of people. Yeah, that's awesome, man. You mentioned a bit of surfing there, so I was curious as well. When do you when do you start surfing? 
I wish I'd started as a four-year-old, which both my kids have done because now they've gone past me. I didn't start to surf poorly till probably 20 in my wow. first year of university. I was doing uh, a business degree and accounting and economics. When you asked me about it as a student, accounting and economics, we were doing my head in. I didn't like them. I didn't enjoy <laughs> what I was doing. And a mate that I'd met for a uni was from Noosa. He was doing my course and he used to go to Phillip Island and go surfing. And I was like, well study accounting or go and learn to surf. So that's when I first started learning. It took me forever. Um, I caught my very first proper wave in Noosa one afternoon. And from that moment, um, I was hooked. And you talked about sport dominating your life. That's dominated my life now. My kids, my wife, whenever we have holidays, we, we travel around the world basically and look for warm water and nice waves. So it is an enormous part of my life. And it's it's a real escape from what I do as a living as well. So to come mm. home from work and go for a surf is is the ultimate it just clears your mind and it makes me feel happy oh for sure mate and i can imagine it to be a real good stress reliever and you feel pretty stoked after you catch that pretty awesome wave so i'm curious as well you know after you said you got your first wave in noosa how long did that take you to get to that first wave well, it's funny. Because I can imagine surfing's not easy, you know. Well, you've got a surfboard <laughs> in the back there, so you, you know what I'm talking about. And we talked about it exactly. before we went on, that you're learning. It's funny, with my kids now, at age three, you just put them on a massive board and within an hour they're standing up and they progress and continue to stand up. It wasn't like that for me at all because I had a mate who was surfing on a short board, a board like you've got there. It was no instructions. He just sort of gave me a spare board and said, get out the back and off you go. And it, you know, it took me three months to even be able to paddle the board out the back before I could even think about catching a wave. So now when I, I've caught, taught quite a few people over the years, it's a long board, it's small waves. I was out there in big waves getting smashed. So I probably didn't stand up for you know, four, five, six, probably six months till I caught that first proper wave. Now, I don't know why I didn't chuck it in, but it was just that challenge of trying to actually do it. I'm not very good at it, but yeah, it took me a long time to get rolling. But once I got rolling, I picked it up reasonably quickly, but I, I didn't have a teacher, which probably hurt me along the way a little bit. No, I love that. You know, six waves perseverance. You know, once you get up there, you're, you're up there yeah, forever. Yeah, that's it. That's so, it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. Um, curious to know as well, you know, where, what's the biggest wave you've ever surfed? Oh, I'd love to tell you it was like Hawaii and it was 20 foot and it was offshore. <laughs> and, you know, I was paddling for a wave with Kelly Slater and I took the wave. But that is not the case. Probably, uh, I don't know, probably seven or eight foot. But anything above six foot scares the board shorts off me. So I don't really like <laughs> surfing the big waves. Uh, yeah. It's, um, the waves themselves is not what freaks me out. It's being held under when you're sort of, those mm. waves are coming on you time and time and time again. But no, I'm not a man that chases big waves, but I've interviewed a few people on the podcast. I interviewed a guy called Garrett McNamara on the Howie Games mm -hmm. who'd surfed the biggest wave ever recorded at the time at about 85 foot. And to talk to those guys about Whoa. what they do and how they learn to overcome fear was quite inspiring for me. Yeah, that's huge. And I guess... You know, surfing plays a big part in your life. And so I'm just curious, you know, where's the next place you're going to surf after after COVID and lockdown's done? Yeah, uh, <laughs> well, recently we, we've, uh, two of the last three trips we've done overseas, we've been fortunate enough to go to Central America. So we went to Costa Rica, Panama and Guatemala. I didn't get to surf much in Panama. So uh, Costa Rica is my favorite place to travel because it's beautiful. It's lovely people, great food, warm water, beautiful ways. Probably Panama. There's a whole Pacific coastline that stretches for thousands of kilometers that not wow. too many people get to. So probably Panama is my next stop. There you go. I could probably talk surfing more, but we'll definitely move a bit on forward. Um, so I wanted to, to jump on your uh, journey, right, with yep. um, becoming a TV presenter and a journalist. And 
I'm curious, you know, I want, I want to know that story. And, you know, do you have to be a special kind of person to, to be in this kind of job? I don't think you need to be a special kind of person. I think when I started, and I fell into it, I won't bore you with the details, but when I started, I watched a guy called Bill Woods who worked for years on Channel 10 and as good as a person as I've seen. And he could chat to the camera for two and a half minutes by himself and they'd go to an ad break and I was, you know, making his coffee work experience and he'd just chat away to me and, you know, what are you doing here and what are you hoping to do? And then they'd say to him, three, two, one, and stop talking to me and turn and start talking to the camera again. And I thought, there's no way on earth, Paul, that I would ever be able to do that because I couldn't do it then and I didn't see how you could get to that. But it's like any job. It's like surfing, catching your first wave and progressing. I don't think there's any great skill to it, to be completely frank with you. I think where I've sat, it's just been experience making mistakes along the way, which I've made thousands of, and just learning as you go. I started working in front of very small audiences, where now that the audiences are a lot larger, and smaller audiences, when you make mistakes, probably don't pull you up as much. So to learn the trade as I went probably helped me. And I did a lot of jobs prior to being on camera. I was a director, I was a producer, I worked basically in every level of television, so I probably understood more than most people what the presenter was meant to do and then I just sort of had to learn those skills but I don't think it's a I don't think it's an amazing skill because everyone says oh you know how do you talk in front of camera and don't you get nervous and don't you feel pressure but all of us talk like you know from age one we can all talk we can all talk to people and that's ostensibly what you're doing you're just doing it with a camera in front of you but it's no different to meeting someone in the pub and chatting like you and I are now you know you can talk so it doesn't mean you can't present on tv that I don't I don't think there's any massive skill to it. That's awesome. Yeah, I like that. You just break it down from being just the simple stuff first, right? That's and then you, you make your way there eventually, right? So it's that experience, I think. And, you know, being in live TV, you know, were there any challenges that you faced? And, um, you know, were there any special people that helped you along the way? Yeah, I was doing a podcast the other day with a golfer called Ian Baker Finch. You may not know him, but he won a very famous tournament called the, Open, was, the British uh, Open. Yeah, I do have my um, golf clubs right next to me here, yeah, so yeah, I'm a big golf fan you, as well. You, so yeah, you would know I, I'll listen to that one too. Oh, good. Well, <laughs> well, I related a story in that to him about he taught me that I was working on a golf tournament. I hadn't done much golf on air, and he was a, a major champion. And I was out on course following Tiger Woods because he was playing in the Australian Open. So it was a big deal. There was a lot of people watching. I hadn't done much. I was just sort of the on-course commentator. And I said a couple of things early, and as soon as I said them, he'd come back in the main commentary box and say, you know what, Mark Howard, that's exactly what I would have said. That's exactly how I would have played the shot. What you said is right. And I had a lot of people testing me saying, oh, I had no idea uh, how you knew so much about golf. And I didn't. But the fact that Ian had backed me up and included me as part of the team, the fact that he showed confidence in me and, you know, he was probably pumping me up more than I deserved to be, but it immediately made, immediately made the audience think this guy knows what he's talking about. So I've learnt that along the way, that it's about teamwork. And if you make those around you look as good as you possibly can, it normally reflects on you. But there's there's a lot of lessons along the way, but you always learn the major lessons from the mistakes you've made. And I've made plenty of them. I've made plenty of them. Yeah, I can imagine that, right? And, you know, making mistakes on live TV and how that really affects you mentally, right? So, I'm curious, you know, how did you deal with that, you know, if you were to make a mistake or a blunder on television or just in your work in general? Yeah, how did you deal with it? It's a really good question. As I say, you learn from your mistakes. I think when I started out, social media wasn't really prevalent. So if you made a mistake, it was in your own mind. Your boss might have a chat to you about it. And I used to dwell on it and I'd be driving home thinking, I can't believe I mumbled my words there or I can't believe I asked that question or you know, I can't believe I did this, I can't believe I did that. And, and I learnt after a while that 
if you did that on air, thinking about your mistake, then your next mistake was sure to happen. So I, I learned quickly. Firstly, I learned to put the mistake that I just made out of my mind immediately when it was happening. So I didn't then cause myself to make another mistake. And then probably poorly, I learned to just let it go and not think about it on the drive home. Because at the end of the day, it's, you know, my sister's, my sister is an emergency doctor. If she makes a mistake, it has massive ramifications on people's lives. Whereas if I make a mistake, you know, it doesn't really matter. It might matter to my pride or someone in the, in the, in the uh, audience might think, you know, this bloke doesn't know what he's talking about. But it has become more of a challenge for a lot of people in my industry as far as mental health and what you're talking about there since the advent of social media. If I showed you my Twitter feed after a game of cricket, what people say about you and, you know, you can't do your job, you're terrible, you know, you're a knob, you're a loser, etc., etc. If you took note of that, and, and I've had mates that have, blokes and girls that have sort of shut social media down because it's a really negative place. I don't understand why that is, Paulie, mm. but... yeah. It can be a really negative place. So I now just take everything with a grain of salt and I read it, um, you know, once a month it gets to me, but 99 times out of 100, I just have a laugh and go, well, you know, what are you going to do? You can't please all the people all the time, which you can't. Mm. Yeah, that, that's crazy that you mentioned that, you know, just from your perspective alone, how you still receive those kind of negative comments. And I think about the kids in schools right now, how, you know, they probably post something online and then you get some people commenting on it just to put them down. And I, I just really don't understand why people would want to do that to someone's day. You know what I mean? No, I, mate, I couldn't agree more with you. And if you're listening to this and you've been subjected to that, they're just nameless, faceless people. So don't, don't let it get to you. And if it is getting to you, just shut it down. I know a lot of teenagers now, they have real trouble turning off social media. It can be a really cruel place. But I think just remember those around you they value you and they care for you and they love you. They love you. So don't be too concerned about what other people say. If on the flip side, you're one of those people that have gone on social media at some stage with a faceless account or a nameless account and made a comment to a person you don't know, just think about maybe what they're going through and maybe how they feel at the end of the day after they come home from school and they read what you've said about them and they might be having a difficult time or they come home from work and you know they might have had an argument with a partner or their child might be sick and they're having a tough day and then they have to read that from you. Maybe just think about what you're saying to people because they may not know you and you may not know them, but it can be really hurtful to certain people and if people are struggling with mental health and you're sending them messages that are increasing to that you're really not helping society or contributing at all so if you are someone that Mm. has sent those messages in the past just don't do it because just put yourself in someone else's shoes which is always a good measure paul how would you feel if i came to your workplace and started out of nowhere saying to you you can't do your job you're hopeless you're worthless it's it's not contributing any value so if you're receiving those messages, put them to the side. If you're sending those messages, just stop doing it. Mm, no, straight to the point, mate. And 100% agree with you. It's just, yeah, it's unnecessary. But, you know, instead of, you know, putting negativity negativity in people's lives, you can just easily put positivity instead. So, And I must say, ju- just on that, 
in my job, mm. you get a lot of both. Um, I get a lot of mm. positive feedback as well. So I always take it a bit the rough with the smooth. You know, I might get really 50 really positive messages and two negative messages. Well, if you're going to read the 50 and enjoy those, you can deal with the two yeah. or the 200, depending on what you've done that day. There you go. And moving forward with um, part of your work as well is um, the Howie Games. Now, I thoroughly enjoy it. And Thanks, my um, ge- general manager actually put me onto it and had me listen to a few and I was, and I'm hooked. So, yeah, definitely a big fan of it. And I'm curious um, to know uh, whether you knew about sport for development. I presume the statement sport development for development is using sport to have a positive impact on your life and people's lives, but I may not be right there. Yeah, you pretty much hit the nail on the head, as uh, simple as you can put it, you know, and that's what we do at Creating Chances. And I think, you know, through your podcast as well, the Howie Games, I think through the amazing stories and experiences that you managed to share through that, I think you you become a really big part of that purpose. And so that's what we kind of want to, you know, instill as well. So, you know, props to you and in, in getting that through. So, you know, for those who may aren't too familiar, could you share a bit about, you know, Howie Games and, you know, your purpose through that as well? Yeah, the Howie Games come part... Um came to be i'll drop a serious name on you here paul i I was sitting down for channel 10 um well five years ago now uh and one of my more well one of my favorite athletes is a formula one driver i used to work on the formula one circuit so i got into it um and in more recent times lewis hamilton has dominated that sport and he's a man that has a lot to say and i I agree with 99.9 percent of what he says anyway sat down with him in for an interview for channel 10 and it went for 25 minutes, and because of the constraints of commercial television, only five minutes of that got to air. And I was moaning and whining to an editor mate of mine, a guy called Jarvis, about the fact, mate, there's 20 minutes of Lewis Hamilton that people are not going to see, and this is fantastic stuff about he's into music, and you know he loves to surf, and he's into fashion, and what, how he views the world. And he's like, well, you should do podcasts with these people you meet. And I said to him you know, four or five years ago, mate, what's a podcast? I didn't know what a podcast was. So from there, I thought, okay, well... I'll try and sit down with some of these athletes and people that I work with in commentary and and current players and former players and just chat with them about their life and about their journey. And I wanted it to be a really positive podcast. I wanted it to be about motivation and inspiration. And it doesn't mean, you know, 105 episodes in, most athletes have had ups and downs. And I think we try and tell the story of the athlete and talk about the downs as well. But you can talk about downs in a positive way. What have you learnt from those times when things haven't gone your way and the ups and for me mate I get to sit there and you know chat with Ian Baker Finch about winning the British Open or Kathy Freeman 20 years ago today did one with her a couple of years ago about winning the 400 meters in Sydney talked to Luke Longley about playing with Michael Jordan I'm sitting here where I am with you now chatting to these people all around the globe about their great achievements and what they've learned along the way and what lessons they can part of pass on to especially a lot of kids like like we're trying to do now so it's a fantastic medium there's no ad breaks there's no producer in my ear telling me to wrap it up it's just sit there chat and and find out about what really makes people tick it's my my favorite part of what i would call my job not really i really have a job you know what i do for a living is is a privilege it's the favorite part of what i do i I absolutely love it yeah that's awesome man you know I really want to know, you know, you've spoken to so many people, you said, you know, 105 episodes in, mm. you know, how, how is speaking to all these, you know, different people from all these different backgrounds um, affected you personally? It's a really, really good question, Paul. It has given, it's given me a different outlook on life. It's, 
what we are going through in where I am now in Victoria, we've just gone into stage four in Melbourne, a stage three lockdown. My kids are now going to have to do six weeks of homeschooling. And I just, it's taught me that things are never as good as they seem and never as bad as they seem. So when you're down, you're not that far down. And when you're up, you're not that far up. So it's taught me an evenness. It's taught me that, so this next six weeks, I can't do anything about it. So I just need to get on with it. I think that's what I've learned from our elite athletes, that no matter what barriers are put in front of them, big or small, they work their way around those barriers. They don't whinge about it. They don't complain about it. They're just like, okay, well, I can't concern myself with that because I can't do anything about that. So I'll just concern myself with what I can do, which is trying to get over the barrier that's put in front of me. The other thing that I've learned and the most valuable lesson I've learned, and I've I've probably applied it a bit in the last few years. In the past, I've probably been a little bit lackadaisical with work, but now when I go to work, I try and work really hard at getting better because of the 105 podcasts, mate, five of those people got where they got on natural talent. A hundred of the 105 got there through hard work. So... John Aloisi, a footballer, took us to the World Cup famously. Wasn't the best footballer in his family. His brother was a better footballer than him. But John was prepared to work harder. Anna Mears, uh, multiple Olympic gold medalist. Her sister was a better cyclist growing up, but Anna probably worked harder. So I've learnt in my own life that you just can't cruise through. If you really want to achieve something, you work hard. And that's what I've also learned. If you work hard, more often than not, you'll achieve what you're after. So I've learned to not let setbacks slow me down. And I've learned if you work hard, you can overcome most things, which there's a difference between saying, you know, I want to be an astronaut and actually really wanting to be an astronaut and putting the work in to be an astronaut or a hairdresser or a musician or an athlete, I think, if you're listening to this and you, you think, I really want to achieve something, I've got a certain dream, are you actually doing everything you need to achieve that dream? And if you are and you don't get there, you know you've given it your absolute best and you can walk away thinking, okay, well, I gave it all I had, but I probably wasn't good enough. That's better than I reckon. And Craig Bellamy, the rugby league coach, really explained this well. I'm sidetracking a bit now, but but he was t- he was talking about having to tell players that they could no longer be at the club because they weren't up to the standard. And he said to me, if I have a player that's got all the talent in the world and didn't work hard enough, I don't think about it for 10 seconds. I just tell him, sorry, it's not working out. You're no longer part of the Melbourne Storm. He said the thing that keeps him up at night and breaks his heart, and he's a tough man, Craig Bellamy, breaks his heart is if a player has come into that club and given absolutely everything, but they weren't quite up to the standard, but they did their absolute best. He said that is the hardest thing for him because that's the type of person he respects, someone that gives it their all. So hopefully I've become a bit more of a person that gives their all, and I'm trying to instill that in my kids. It doesn't matter whether they make 100 or score a goal or win the race. If they come away thinking they did their best, that's okay. If they come away disappointed because they think, no, I didn't train enough or I didn't try enough or I didn't put enough into it, I think that's when you start to feel disappointed in yourself. Yeah, it's so true, man. That's absolute gold. Thanks for sharing that because I think, you know, dealing with these kids, uh, not dealing with them really, but working with them and getting to speak to them, you think they tell us, you know, what they want to do when they finish school. And you mentioned a few, you know, musician, hairdresser, Mm. construction, whatever. And, you know, they say it, right? But whether they actually put in that hard work and 
really want to be determined to do so. It's just a different story. And I think it's really important to differentiate the two. So, yeah, no, nah, that was awesome. That's, uh, yeah. that's golden, I hope. And I think also along those lines, when you're 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, I left school at 18 and then went to uni. I had no idea still what I wanted to do at 21, 22. I didn't really, I sort of fell into my career. I, I wasn't really going down a path till I was 32. So if you if you don't know what you want to do, that's okay. And if you spend a few years not finding your own path, that's okay as well. Because when you find your path, that's when you can have a full crack at it. So if you're listening to this and you're like, what's he talking about? I'm 19. I don't have any idea what I want to do. That's okay. You're only 19. Just experience life and put yourself out there and travel or do seven different jobs. And eventually you'll find something that you'll think, right, this is something I'd like to do. And then that is where you need to start putting in the work. But if you're not at that point yet, that's okay. Because you're only young. You're still learning about life and learning about what things you really want to do. Yeah, you probably just answered my next question, but I'll still ask it anyways, mm. just to see whether you change your mind or not. Um, if you could write a short message to, you know, your 16-year-old self, looking back at your life now, you know, what would that message be? Travel, travel and travel. Um, but that's for me. I, I did a lot of travel and it just shaped me as a person because it taught me all the important lessons in life because you didn't have your mum and dad to rely on you didn't know where your money was coming from. You didn't know where your next night's accommodation was coming from. You didn't know how to get from point A in South America to point B in South America. So you had to make all those decisions for yourself. And therefore, your decisions absolutely affected the outcome. So you learnt responsibility. You learnt resilience at an early age. And you learnt to just push on. Just push on. That, that's what I learned from traveling. So I would say to someone, and obviously you need to be in a financial position to do that, and that's only my journey, but I think seeing the world, whether it be in your own region, within your own country, or on your own planet, I think it builds all sorts of resilience along the way. To my 16-year-old self as well, I would say don't stress about things you can't control. And I think that's the way I try and live my life. That's probably the most important lesson I can impart, Paul, is to say there's so many things in life that can cause you stress and grief that are absolutely beyond your control, that you can do nothing about. Things that come your way, things from your background, things with your parents, things with a teacher, you know, things with not getting a job. You can't do anything about those things, so don't stress about them. If there's an exam you've got coming up, don't stress about it. Do some work and prepare for it and then you'll do a good job of it. But don't worry about the things you can't control. Only focus on the things you can control and change the outcomes of those without being too airy-fairy. I just don't see the point in worrying thing, worrying about things that... You know, this COVID is a, a prime example. I can't make the Premier of Victoria change his decisions. I can't make the people of Melbourne stay home and follow the rules. So... There's no point in me getting upset about that. I can just do what I need to do and that's all I can affect and what my family's doing. I can't control everybody else. So there's, I see a lot of people getting pent up and annoyed and angry and this and that. And I get people deal with it in different ways, but I can't control those things. So I just don't let them worry me, which takes a lot of stress out of day-to-day life, I think. Yeah, there you go. Some wise words of advice there well, maybe. to the 16-year-old self. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I definitely will take it on board. You, you've, you've made me want to travel more. I just want to get out of the house right now, mate. <laughs> well, I think <laughs> so. Just I, I, I think that's an, another thing. You know, if 
if that's something you want to do and it's not everyone's cup of tea, you're like, well, I can't afford it. Well, you can afford it because you can go and you can get a job in the morning and then a job at night and sleep five hours a night and work two jobs and save and save and save. And if that takes you six months or six years, if that's actually what you want to do, it sort of comes back to what mm. we were going. And I don't mean you now, I mean anyone. You can do that. Mm. So you can save the money. The world's never been more accessible as soon as we get out of the back of this crisis that mm. if that's what you want to do, then you can do it. And there's no, you know, oh, I couldn't do that because I couldn't afford it. Or, well, if you set yourself to it, you probably find a way to be able to do it. There you go. Well, I wanted to just jump back a little bit and mm-hmm. um, go on the Howie Games. Yep. So I wanted to see, were there any real standout conversations? You probably get asked this a million times, but no. I'm curious to know, you know, any real standout conversations had an imprint on you and an impact on you? Yeah, a lot. And, and then the second question to that would be, um, uh, who would you really want to get on the podcast next if you could um, get anyone on? But yeah, uh, to that first one. Uh Firstly, a lot. A lot of them have impacted me over three or four years. I'll give you an example of the most recent one. It's probably, uh, there's been a couple, a couple, I had a... a oh, you can give us a handful of them, that's all right. Yeah, a, a very early doors as, a, as a, a footballer called Jake Edwards, who played AFL football. Um, and it's a really sensitive topic, but he uh, attempted suicide. And he explained in blow by blow detail of what he attempted to do and how it didn't work for him and now he, he's running a, an operation outside the locker room where he is helping other people to deal with such things that had a massive impact on me I, I didn't understand because I've been lucky enough not to suffer from mental health issues it just taught me how to talk to people about that type of thing and what language to use and what to ask and what not to ask that had a massive impact but the, the one that really had an enormous impact on me and it was only three or four weeks ago. I grew up um, watching cricket in the in the eighties and being in awe of the West Indies cricket team. They had a very famous fast bowler called Michael Holding, who's now probably the best cricket commentator on the planet from where I sit. And this was right in the midst three weeks ago of the um, the height of the Black Lives Matter protest. He is a beautiful black West Indian man um, of enormous integrity, and we had a half an hour discussion about racism and he explained to me in depth about black lives and the movement of what it actually means and you know when people say oh white lives matter as well he explained to me that that is not what it's about and he basically I sat there for half an hour and just listened to him and played it to my kids discussed it over the dinner table with my wife and my kids who are 10 and 8 and it just made me understand in a small way, not that you ever can, but understand what it is like to be in someone else's shoes and how we need to be better as a community in relation to racial issues. And it sat me on my ass for a little bit because he talked about, you know, it's hard as a, as a, as a white male to understand what he's talking about, but to try and understand what he was talking about and trying to walk in his shoes for a bit and become more cognizant and aware of the arguments and the conversation was probably the biggest impact the podcast has had on me. Um, so it's a recent episode. The gentleman's name is Michael Holding. It's in the second part of the conversation. Have a listen to it. If you're listening to this, be open-minded. Listen and really feel what Michael says, and I reckon you'll come away, whatever your level of education, with a higher level of education in relation to that topic. Yeah, I don't I don't think we ever stop living and we don't think we ever stop learning no. in that sense too. 
part of that. So yeah, that's huge, man. Uh, the second that's part, the second huge. part of that. Um, funnily enough, this very spot where I'm sitting with you now. Um, there's an interview that I've been trying to line up for probably two and a half years with um, Australian cricketer Steve Smith, who I work with a lot in my day-to-day job. He's been through some tremendous ups and a, and a few downs along the way. So mm-hmm. I'm having a chat with him this evening, which I'm really looking forward to. But the guy that I've been chasing for nearly the whole time the podcast has been on is the 11-time world surfing champion Kelly Slater, Paulie. Yeah, and that'd be awesome. When he comes on the show, that might be the end of the show. I might shut up. There. We might put the shutters up, but it'll um it nearly happened a couple of times. But funnily enough, Kelly went surfing, which I completely get. Um, but yeah, I'd love to have a chat with him at some stage. You said it end if you put him on. I was just about to get on Twitter and start um you know um spamming your name at him and so get on his podcast. Let's do it. But um you don't want it to end, mate. No. So I'm a bit bittersweet about that. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. But definitely one day, one day, uh, it'll happen. It'll happen. I'm uh, I'm a positive it'll man. Happen. It'll happen at some stage. Yeah, I believe it too, mate. So uh, you did uh, just quietly mention your young ones. Yep. And this is like the last question I have for you. And you know, I don't think the podcast isn't complete without you know pickle and the big no. pig. And, and for those of you who don't know, could you just let them know who they are? Yeah, so my daughter Sky is age 10, and for whatever reason, I think I started calling her the Pickle when she was about two, so she's known yeah. to our family as the Pickle, and the Big Penguin is my eight-year-old son, Mac, who at age four, three and a half, woke up one day and he said, Dad, I want to change my name. I said, what do you want to change your name to? And he said, I want to change it to Big Penguin. And I was like, why? He said, I don't know, I just like the name. Um, and he, he will use his own name now, but it was a period from when he was sort of three till five and a half wouldn't answer to anything else. So you'd be in the supermarket with him and he'd be running a mark as the four-year-olds do. And if you called out Mac, he'd pay no attention. So you had to shout out across the supermarket, hey, big penguin, big penguin. And it wasn't even penguin. It had to be big penguin. So big, yeah. um, those that listen to the podcast, what you're referring to, they um, I normally tell them a little bit about the guest and then um, they have the pleasure of asking questions of the guests. And as you can imagine, questions from 10-year-olds and 8-year-olds, they started at age sort of four and six so they've sort of grown with the podcast so they ask some interesting questions yeah get them started early right you yep. never know they might take over well they will that's what they're planning a pickle fan, pickle uh, and big penguin podcast that's after. it yeah. well they now they want a dollar's pocket money for every time they ask a question so i think they're lining hey, up there a, you go. a family dynasty yeah so I, I you know i wanted to ask them a question and maybe you could answer it for them well oh, i can question. answer i can go and find them it's up to you Oh it's, oh, it's up to you, really. I don't want to take them away from their homework, but the question is this, and yep. maybe you'll see whether they'd want to ask it or not. Um, if they could choose a sport in which they would be the absolute best at, which sport would it be? Um, I can answer that for them. My daughter yeah. would like to be probably the world triathlon champion, competing triathlon. at the Brisbane Olympics that haven't been awarded yet. My son has got his schedule mapped out. So he plans to bat number three for Australia in cricket in the summer. Then he wants to play for his football team, the Hawks, Hawthorne in the AFL. And he told me the other day he's going to somehow compete on the WSL World Surf Tour and become world champion as well. So he's going for three different sports within one calendar (laughs) year. So he set himself a challenge and we'll see how that pans out over his life. But he's uh, he's got some lofty goals. I believe. Yeah, I believe not. He's got all my support too. <laughs> yeah, that's so it. And mine. No worries, and mate. And mine. Well, yeah, there you go. 
Uh, well, you know, that, that, that wraps us up there, I think. And I just wanted to, again, thank you so much for, um, you know, coming on the Legendary Conversations for Creating Chances and being able to speak with us and share your story and, you know, some inspirational and words of wisdom with us. So, yeah, really thanks for that, mate. No, thanks for having me on, mate. I hope everyone that listens takes something out of it. And it's unusual for me to answer the questions because I normally uh, yeah. <laughs> ask the questions, but I got your email and it seemed like a really worthy thing you're doing. So I'm more than happy to come on and um, I enjoyed chatting with you, mate, immensely. Thanks, mate. And um, don't forget to check out the Howie Games if you haven't already. Plenty of episodes there to keep you busy, especially during this time if you're not doing anything, which I expect you not to be doing as much as you used to. So definitely check that out. Definitely lighten your day. So, you know, I hope you stay safe, mate. I hope you stay golden. And um, yeah, cheers. We'll catch you next time. I'll see you at the surf at some stage, mate. Peace and love. You'll teach me. (laughs) Cheers, mate. Bye. Hopefully you enjoyed today's episode of the Positive Feedback Podcast. If you want to hear more amazing stories, head on over and subscribe to our podcast feed on Spotify and iTunes. And if you want to hear more about the work that Creating Chances is doing, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you next time on the Positive Feedback Podcast.